Welcome to Grace Reformed Baptist Church. It's good to see your faces. And, yeah, it's just good to see your faces. Um, Some announcements. We have youth choir today after church over in the cottage. Ladies Bible study tomorrow night. And Gordon, in the beginning of April, is starting a new class on John 3.16, so that's good. Um, Some other announcements. Blake has been showing, uh, or started to show, Epic with Tim Challies, and he has, it's around the world journey through Christian history, and I I think it's such a cool... um, series that Tim Challies is doing, our own Tim Challies. He's we claim him because of Barbara and John. That uh this is for the church library because you may not be able to come when Blake shows it. Uh, so if you want to borrow it, it'll be on the back, but I commend it to you. It's very, very good. And just a public shout out, I won't get everybody but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that happens here. Um, I sound and look good. You know, genetics plays a big part, but Paul Kenamore in the back uh, really makes me look good and sound good. But you don't see him over here during the week, and his daughters sometimes are here, Addie and Bailey, so they're in here doing the lights, the sound, the cameras. Jerry and Linda, they don't like to be called out, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff here. I see everything from the office. Um, I hear the gravel in the parking lot. I know who's here. Uh, Catherine does a lot behind-the-scenes also. Isaac and Rodney are are working on flooring. You might have seen Neil climbing a ladder last week to change a light bulb. He not only changed the light bulb, he fixed the fixture. It was like Lazarus because it was dead. And up from the socket it rose, and it's full of life and power. We used to have a rotten persimmon tree out by the mailboxes. It has gone the way of all flesh. But it went very quickly. Okay, Eric and I were talking about it, and he's like, well, I'll get the sawzall and cut the branches down. Hold my ladder. Yes, sir. And then the stump is there, and I said, okay, we're gonna, we need a chainsaw. You can't do it with a sawzall. So I just said, well, Michael Haas has a chainsaw, so I emailed him. Could you come over sometime? He's like, I'll be there at 4 o'clock today. What a taskmaster. He comes with his pickup truck, two chainsaws, and makes me do all the work while he sits back in a lawn chair. No, actually, he's the one that did it all. And So now we have a hole in the ground. And I talked to Eric, and I said, don't, don't go over there. There's a hole in the ground. And he's like, well, that needs to be fixed. I said, so I'll, I'll get to it. I come back, all the punky wood's out. It's full of gravel and covered with dirt, nice and smooth and even. I'm like, you just say it and people do it. It's like, this is crazy. So thank you to everybody. Catherine, you came in late, but I was praising you too, so note it in your diary. Um, there's a lot that goes on here behind the scenes to make Sunday morning possible. And it's just, I didn't get everybody, but thank you. 
for how you serve in the way God has gifted you. Um, on another note, you know that we're a congregational rule, deacon-assisted, elder-led church. But sometimes people just take too much on. I get the mail sometimes. Jerry LaFleur, president, Linden Ave Baptist Church. Jerry. No, I didn't know it, but. So we got to have LaFleur 2024. Um, you can look in your bulletin for the rest of the announcements, except there is one more. We have a, a, an elder up here who is getting elderish. You're older than I am. Yeah, You're but. But the birthday card's for you. And we appreciate you. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. I have no idea how much the check is, but it's not enough. Okay. <laughs> well. Uh, it's a bribe. Can you finish by noon? <laughs> It'll have to be a lot more than that. <laughs> That's for sure. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Every Lord's Day, it is... A pleasure to be here, just as Andy said, to see your face and to be with you. Um, it is a great blessing and privilege. Thanks for the acknowledgement of uh, Andy being older than me. Um, but no, uh, I'm at, at this stage in my life, and every year that goes by, it, it's like, um, you know, first, I told somebody, first 35 years you're going uphill, so it's a little slower, but after that you're going downhill, and it keeps getting quicker, doesn't it? I guess, I guess some amens going on out there. But anyway, we're looking forward to um, this um, continuing to grow, and uh, it's a blessing to see you, the young people, and a part of it. We have some exciting things coming up for you, which we'll, uh, I, I will discuss with some of you at, at, at a, um, in short order. But it's quite a blessing to see uh, that, uh, and that is my prayer, that we will be able to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and be a great light to a dark world that we're in well this so thank you for your um, recognition the Blake's going to come to lead us in a hymn before we receive communion and then I'm going to do a reading from your uh, worship folder it's on the inside so if you want to prepare but I thought maybe we can uh, Blake just have everyone seated and look at 251 in your hymn book. Don't worry, I won't be leading. Blake sings better than me. He'll lead it. But you, as we sing through this hymn, you, you're going to note here in our communion that we're going to receive here in just a minute that our point is to remember Christ. And this hymn does a good job, really, uh, walking through that time in which Christ lived engaged in his ministry, died, and rose again, and then the call for us to pick up our cross and follow him. So think through this meditatively, particularly the sacrifice of uh, Jesus Christ our Lord in preparation then for you to worship him in Holy Communion. So Blake, if you'll come and lead us now, and you guys can remain seated and think through this hymn, 251. Thank you. 
been led to remember these things. If you look in your worship folder on that flyer, I normally put this text from 1 Corinthians in our worship folders for our time of communion. And Christ said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I thought I would just go ahead and read this text. It's one of the longer texts that we have concerning communion or the Lord's Supper. We want to do so so that we remember in the context in which it's given and the instructions that are provided. This church at Corinth really had a lot of trouble. And Paul wrote two inspired letters to them. Wrote several letters, but two of them that are inspired and in our text. One is the first Corinthians, he deals with a lot of the trouble, and in Second Corinthians, he uh, affirms his authority as apostle. Here, he's dealing with some of the problems with the church, and in particular, they had some problems concerning the Lord's Supper. They would gather together and have a meal alongside it, but the highlight was to do this in remembrance of me. If you look through this text, as I'll, I'll end up reading it here for you, it does call us to examine ourselves in, in verse 28, and it does talk about eating in an unworthy manner. That isn't fully described here. I won't get into that. It would take uh, quite a length. But the bottom line is simply this, and what we're calling you to do. To be worthy to receive this in remembrance of Christ is to be regenerate, that is, to be a Christian, to have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what you're remembering, his work for you. And it's expressed in your obedience to him. One of the first signs of obedience to Christ is confession before men in believer's baptism. So we call for that. We don't call for you to have to be a, an official member of this local body, but we certainly do want you to be a member of Christ's body. And so we'll do so in remembrance of him and do so in a worthy manner. We're not receiving this communion to somehow receive grace. There, there is nothing infused, there is nothing imputed by receiving these uh, signs, these symbols. What, what is imputed to us is the righteousness of Christ through the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. And we're engaging now, as we receive Holy Communion, to simply, as the text will say twice here, verse 24, as well as in verse 25, to remember him. This is part of the psalm that you just sang, to prepare your heart to do this in remembrance of him. So I'll read the text, and first it begins with a little scolding, because they were engaging in the Lord's Supper in the wrong way, and you know, and then a, a warning later on here about um, receiving condemnation for receiving it in an unworthy manner. Then I'll give you a time to pray here and prepare your heart to receive Christ as we prepare the table, and I'll instruct you on how to receive it in just a moment. But let me read the text, and then I'll pray for us and give you a chance to pray as well to prepare your heart he talks to the church at Corinth in verse 17 and he says the following instructions I, I don't commend you because when you come together it's not for the better but for the worse 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe that in part, for there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you, when you come together, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it will not be for judgment. But other things, I will give directions when I come. Let us pray. I want to give you a moment first, privately where you're at, to prepare your heart to receive the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. If you'll confess your sin, remember he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Take a moment now to prepare your heart so then you can truly commune with Christ. Take a moment now. Lord, what a great privilege it is to come before you and ask to see if there's any wicked way in us. And then to know that indeed you will reveal it, but also forgive it. And so I pray for your people that we would not run around with the guilt that is indeed appropriately for those that haven't professed Jesus Christ as Lord. I know we might be disappointed at times for failing to live up to your glory and demonstrate your grace in our life the way we would like to do so. But you are a good and gracious God 
who grants us mercy and grace greater than all our sin. And so even in our imperfections in this life, Father, I pray that we would have a deep-seated joy and peace and love and mercy and faithfulness and all those things that are truly produced by your Spirit. Maybe they be on display in our life. All of this comes about not by our own doing, not by our engaging in various rituals, but certainly by simply receiving and doing this in, in remembrance of Christ who took on human flesh, lived among us, fulfilled the perfect righteousness required by the law, took on our sin on his body on the tree, died, was buried, and rose again. Oh, Father, I pray that this time would be a, indeed a time of remembrance of your goodness and your grace for your glory. Bless the elements as we receive to remember you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, let's take a moment now then to prepare to receive communion. And what I'd like for you to do is we'll start just because it's easier this side. If you'll come up, receive both elements circle around and return and we'll do the middle in this next aisle. Let's go ahead and receive now. Take both elements, return to your seat and then wait.
the Christ, of course, as we mentioned, the bread and the cup. The bread is, Jesus said he took it, and one of the elements of Passover, which recognized the deliverance of God temporally for the people of Israel out of bondage. It, Christ changed that, meaning to remind you this, these elements are to remind us about Christ who spiritually brings us out of the bondage of sin. And there are two aspects to it which we must have. One is absolute, perfect righteousness to be able to stand before God. That is represented in this bread. You will not stand righteous before God because you receive this. It is because you have received Christ. This just simply reminds us of his perfect righteousness by which you will stand before God, clothed in the garments of Christ. Receive this in remembrance of him. That is the positive side, as I like to think of it, standing perfectly before God because of the righteousness of Christ, but your sins must be atoned for. They will not be swept under the rug. They will be cleansed, washed away by the very blood of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God taking on your punishment for sin is a glorious thing. Receive this in remembrance of him. Blake's going to come back and lead us now then to think about Jesus Christ, a hymn you may or may not be familiar with, 323 in your hymn book, to think again how sweet this very name of Jesus sounds. And I pray it is sounds sweeter to you this day. Let's all stand together and turn to number 323. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear.
sing the servant song. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Mark 9, 35. Good morning, everybody. I uh, trust that I find you well, and I pray that you are well in the Lord, that your soul is well. When we started reading through the book of Acts, I immediately started praying, telling the Lord that I would like to read Acts chapter 4. When Jeremy got in touch with me yesterday and asked me to read portion of Acts chapter 4. It was, thank you, Jeremy, and thank you, Lord. This is one of my favorite passages. This is one of those outstanding, soul-grabbing passages in the Word of God. I mean, it's all good, (laughs) but this passage will grab your heart. This passage will make you shout amen Amen. and go get it. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 4, and that is, uh, let's see, on verse or 9-11, I believe it is. Yes, it begins on 9-11. I'm going to uh, catch us up, though, on what has happened. This passage that I'll be reading today, uh, verses 1 through 22 of uh, John, or excuse me, of Acts chapter 4, is really what Paul Harvey of the Golden Age of Radio would call the rest of the story. (laughs) But uh, let me walk back through a little bit of chapter 3. 
So Peter and John, it's, it's, it's about three o'clock or so, and they're going to go to the temple and they're going to pray. It's their, it's their custom. And as they get there, there is a lame man awaiting them and everybody else that comes into the temple. He's been, he's been lame all his life. They have to carry him there, and he sits and he, he asks for alms. So here come Peter and John. They're beginning to walk past him, and he's looking at them, hopefully expectantly, and, and he asks them for, for a gift. And, uh, and they stop, and they look at him. And, and uh, Peter says, look at me. <laughs> he got his attention. Look at me. Listen to what I'm going to say. And the man, verse 5, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man not just stands up. He's helped up. He leaps and walks, and he continues to leap and walk. It mentions it again and again. And he's praising God, and the people are around have noticed what has happened. They've heard those words. They see this man. He's been there for decades, 30 years or more, however long you know, he has been there, many, many, many years, every day, and they see him. They know him, and he's walking, and he's leaping, and he's praising God, and they start praising God too. So Peter, uh, who won't let any occasion to preach the word of God go, begins to talk to them. He goes back to the Old Testament and he recalls to their minds verse 13 of chapter 3, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of, God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And he continues to preach the word of God to them and tells them to come to Christ. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Uh, I hope this is not a spoiler. 5,000 men were saved because of this message, Wayne, is, is this like in, in the, the when, when Christ fed the multitude and, you know, he fed 5,000 men? Is this similar? I would think so. There were probably thousands of people that were there, at least 5,000 men and, and how many other? Because they all saw what was happening and they rushed to hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit and Peter gave it to them. And now the rest of the story, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. <laughs> greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people. Let me turn my page here. This is not a dramatic pause. I'm just clumsy. They were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was, it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 
On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, Peter and John, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen? Amen. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men like me, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and, and charged them to speak, to, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are a God of wonders, a God of majesty. We thank you for your creation. We see your hand in the creation every single day. Thank you that the red buds are so beautiful this springtime. We see your hand in, in the lives of the people in this church as they come here. We see it in their faces, coming here to hear the word of God, to fellowship with one another, to be prepared for the work of the ministry. Do that for us today as Brother Wayne opens the, the word of, of the truth of the gospel to us from the book of Hebrews this very morning. Teach us and then show us how to put it into practice in our lives, in your service. We see it in, in the faces and in the lives of the moms and dads here who, who bring their, they're faithful to bring their kids. For the Sunday school teachers who, who work so diligently with these youngsters, we pray for the soon salvation of the children in, in our church and that they will grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior because their moms and dads are admonishing them now in the word of God. Bless them and help them. Father, we, we, we see it in the knowledge that you've given to us of the soon returning sa Savior. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Prepare us to uh, always have a word ready to answer those who, 
who want to know more about the word or who challenge us on the word of God. Teach us thy word that we might share it with others. We thank you for this service. We pray that you bless the offering. We pray that you use the money in your service for your purposes. And before I close, I want to give a special thanks for our deacons and for our elders. We thank you, Father, for the blessing that they are to us. And we thank you for their diligent study and in their hands-on Christianity, their shoe-leather Christianity among us. May we grow in grace as well. May you show us your glory. For I pray in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen. Take your hymn books once more and stand and turn to number 591. And we'll sing the hymn, Pure in Heart, O God. It's a prayer of increasing sanctification. So let's think of that as we sing this from our hearts this morning. 591, Pure in Heart, O God.
Amen. Well, when she was playing Surrender All for the Offertory, I felt like coming forward. We've heard a lot of gospel proclaimed, both in the hymns and the communion and the reading of the word. Thank you for your enthusiasm. As I'm, uh, Gordon, it's, uh, it's blessed to be a part. I want you now to hear another word of Christ. You can think of this as our second service starting up again. We've heard a lot from Christ, and that's good. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Titled this message, I struggled with it a bit because I knew I wasn't going to get through all of it anyway, this section. But I think the, the main point I want to get here and address uh, will really, we'll have to back up to verse 11 of Hebrews 6 and talk about this concept of faith and patience. We're in the warning passage in Hebrews 6. As I've mentioned, if you hadn't been with us, this is essentially apostolic preaching. I think it's Paul's recorded by Luke. That's just me. But it's certainly an exemplar of the kind of preaching that they would have done. It points to the supremacy of Christ because that particular audience was potentially drifting away. The, the lure of their religious ritual that was part of their community, the, the thinking of the day and the places that they were involved, was kind of drawing them back and away from Jesus Christ. And so the preacher then hammers many times through each chapter the supremacy and the glory of Jesus Christ. Why would you go back? And to where would you go? He has the words of eternal life. There's a warning he gives then. He kind of stops. He's going to teach him about Melchizedek. He'll pick it back up in chapter 7 and 8. But he kind of pauses here in chapter 6 because he's concerned perhaps his congregation hasn't really thought enough about Jesus Christ. And if you're not earnest in it, if you don't pay attention, if you don't listen, there is a great danger of apostasy. That is, you're around all of the religious ideas, you hear all the information, you participate in the practices, but you know what? You could fall away, and if you did, that would be falling away to destruction, as we talked about last time. There it comes a point in which there is no point of return, where God would judicially give you up. And it's a very strong warning that he has given. And so he's calling then now, after he's given this warning, to say, all right, I'm assured of better things of you because it is my prayer that you are indeed truly confessing Christ as Lord. So his focus now is going to be on this glory and calling people to think about the very promises that have been made by God throughout human history and calling the people of God to believe, that is, to have faith. And in believing, you're going to have to have one other element, and that is patience. 
And those both are hard qualities, hard values for us to really, truly grasp. And so he's going to call for that. I mean, if you come to Christ and you confess him as Lord and you're promised eternal riches in glory in Christ, why doesn't God just immediately bring you to his presence? His presence, which is fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. Well, we know that there are at least two, I can think of, reasons. One, because God does whatever he's doing for his glory. See Ephesians 1. Everything that God might do would be to the praise of his glory. That is the exaltation of the beauty of all his divine attributes. The second thing I would think of, too, is that God would have a purpose then for redeeming mankind and gathering us together as a church to worship Christ. It is for good. His purposes always are for good. See Romans 8, 28. Now, we may not understand the specific purposes going on, and that's why there is a call for faith to believe God. We talked about that a little bit this morning in Andy's class in the ministry training. Believe God. Trust him regardless of whatever circumstances might befall our way because God has a good purpose in in it and he will be glorified in doing so. And on occasion we may gain a glimpse or two of that And certainly one of them is the way in which his redeemed express their confident faith, their full assurance of the promises of God until the very end. That is, they persevere or wait patiently. This brings about glory to God because it is God who is working to bring about that faith and patience. He's glorified by both. I think that's what this preacher of Hebrews is, is doing here as he introduces this concept of the promises, that we would, we would know that. More specifically, if depending on time, if I get to it, certainly we'll get to this in greater detail next week. I, I, but I just to, to sink this in and for you to understand, I put on the front of your bulletin, your worship folder this morning, from 2 Corinthians 1.20. And this is what you need to know about the promise. When you hear this word promise, it's what God has promised to do. All the promises of God. Note this, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Speaking of Jesus Christ. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen is simply putting your affirmation to say absolutely and surely. When we read about and think about these various promises of God, they are accomplished and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if you find your refuge in him, you can indeed have faith in him and endure patiently to receive the promise. 
And that's kind of how he opens this up as I'm going back in verse 11 to pick up our focus. We'll, we'll unpack verse 13 and following a little bit concerning Abraham. But if you're in your text, look at verse 11 as we're leaning into this um, positive section after dealing with the warning of apostasy. He moves on and he says in verse 11 of chapter 6, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance of the hope to the end. You get it? Assurance and hope until the end. These are the same ways of saying faith and promises, that you would have this assurance and that you would be earnest in doing it. In other words, actively engaged in there. And then he gives this warning again, which kind of caps this off, and it parallels with 5.11, if you remember, where he says, don't be dull of hearing. Same words used here in verse 12. I've mentioned that before. So that you may not be sluggish. In other words, don't be lazy. The Christian life is not a lazy life. Be engaged. He warns them, if you're sluggish, dull of hearing, you may apostatize, and that would be death. But be Engage in earnest, he would say here, not be sluggish, but instead, what do you do? Be an imitator of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Do you want the promises of God in Christ Jesus? You will do so by faith. But along with that is great patience. You have to wait for it. And I want to tell you this right now. It's worth the wait. You can't imagine what awaits you. In your darkest and deepest and most discouraging moments in time, the call is to look to Jesus Christ, into whom all these promises are fulfilled. He is a yes and amen. Wait. Wait for it. It's coming. It's more glorious than you've ever imagined. In fact, you don't have the capacity to be able to imagine the riches of God in Christ Jesus. You have no idea what fullness of joy is. You've been happy. You've had joy. But a complete, perfect joy without any distraction of sin, we, 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 it's, it's beyond our thinking. Now, our focus then is verse 13 about these promises, but I did want you to see this connection because it's, it's through here as, a, as we'll walk through it. He's a calling then to imitate those who've already demonstrated faith and patience because they're going to inherit the promises. And then he points all the way back now to Abraham, and that's in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, quote, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having, wait, having, see the word, patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is a final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by 
two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that we would, by faith, see your promises. I pray that we would be patient to wait on them. Give us great hope for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll see what I can get through in this text with the time that remains. I would divide it out. The, the first focus here in, is on the, the very people that's being spoken of. The plan how God would accomplish this, hopefully I'll get through that part, and then next time, the pledge that he makes, and and it's quite dramatic as I read it in the text, and then ultimately the culmination is the person, and I hope you have seen Jesus Christ, your anchor for your soul. The, The people of the promise notice here, and I've alluded to it already in verse 11, it's each, each one of you. He, he looks to his congregation, those who he has better assurance of. He, he, he looks to them and, and calls them not to be dull, as I've mentioned. Instead, to be engaged in this process of spiritual maturity. He's kind of spurring them on. Don't be lackadaisical about it. Engage in growth spiritual growth in Christ. You have to participate. You have to engage in the process of your spiritual maturity. He is warned what happens if you don't, and now here's an encouragement certainly to do so. God has not chosen to pour out sanctification like a a pitcher of water. You must take it. You must drink it. You must participate in it. I'll give you a couple texts. You can turn if you wish or just listen. Uh, I'll just briefly demonstrate them. Paul talks to the church at Philippi. And he calls them to obey, not only in his presence, but in his absence. And then he said in Philippians 2, 12, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is what we call synergistic, if you will. You see, he's calling on God's people, the church, to to, to work out that salvation. We call this sanctification. Engage, be involved in the process. But recognize the other dynamic to it, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See that? We would say the salvation is monergistic. That is, it is all of God. This is God's doing. He regenerates the heart. He makes the dead come to life, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. But when he does so, then he calls on those who who can see to actually look. 
for those who, who have ears to hear, to hear what Christ would say. Those who have life, to live it, to walk in the newness of life. This is what Christ has called us to do. Recognizing we aren't doing this from our, our dead and non-hearing and blind flesh, but we're doing this by the regenerate Holy Spirit. But you participate in the process. Paul would tell the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5.10, he tells them, it is by God's grace that I am what I am. It was God's unmerited favor granted to him. And then he says his grace given to him wasn't done in vain. God has a purpose for it to accomplish. And then he says, on the contrary, how is that grace demonstrated in his life? He says, I work harder than any of them. The Christian life is not easy. It's hard for everyone. We don't sit passively by. It's a participatory religion. It isn't coming together for entertainment and exercise. It is for you to participate. And Paul would say, I worked hard, and he did. We're going to read some of that through the Acts of the Apostles. They all worked hard. They were a great courage, great faith. But Paul will explain, it is, though it is not I that is his sinful flesh, but the grace of God that is within me. That, that's what accomplishes it. And so here is a, a wake-up call then in verse 11 of our text to show that same type of earnestness. And by doing so, brothers and sisters, this will bring about great confirmation of your faith. And what he desires for the church, that is to have full assurance, to not be dissuaded by false doctrine, by cultural confusion and distractions, but to put your hope on Jesus Christ and persevere to the very end. Don't be sluggish, he would say in verse 12, but be actively engaged in, a, in spiritual maturity, hard work. Growing in grace in Christ does provide us with a temporal benefit in this life. One, many, one of them is assurance, as I've said. The hope, the certainty of God's redemptive work, the promises that await the believer. God has ordained for us to persevere by actively not passively, but actively engaging in our own spiritual maturity and encouraging one another in spiritual growth. Don't be lazy. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time because the evil one would destroy you. The call is to pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Not as a piece of jewelry around your neck. 
but as a true commitment to Jesus Christ. By growing in this sanctification, by engaging, it's going to bring about a greater degree of faith in your life. And that is fulfilling what is being called. That is to, to verse 12, to imitate who? Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience are characteristic of the believer. And yet we're called to engage in that and to grow in that grace. Faith and grow in patience. It is helpful to have those who we can imitate, if you will, or follow, particularly those who have gone through and have learned and have experienced and have demonstrated faith, have also demonstrated great patience. It isn't easy, but it's helpful to have some to model that, of God's work in their life. And this is Again, I think one of the reasons God brings us together as a body of Christ individually so that collectively together we can imitate, see examples, learn, and grow. Paul would tell this church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be imitators of me. Qualifies it by saying, as I am of Christ. Of course, Paul's following Christ. But I say, go follow Christ. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to follow Christ and call you to do it. And collectively, at the church, we, we do this. By the way, this is a great way to teach your children. I do instruct them. Do tell them the truth. Proclaim Christ. But one of the, one of the great teachers along with that is to give them something to pattern their life after, to follow. So they can see you exercising great faith and great patience. It's a great teacher. Children naturally do this, don't they? They pick up our expressions, our mannerisms. Oftentimes they like the kinds of things that we might like because we spend time with them. Faith and patience, two key key characteristics to emulate. Believe what God has said and then be patient to wait on it. Be patient to, to receive it in the best way and the best time that God has ordained. He moves from this concept of faith and patience to give you an example in our text. Have you seen it? It's Abraham. And we'll walk through the best we can some of the life of Abraham at this point so we can see how God demonstrates an exemplar, just a human being, a man, wasn't perfect in his life, but he does demonstrate faith and patience and one who actually does endure the plan for the promise verse 13 for when God made a promise to Abraham and that's that's how this promise then was revealed since he had no one greater by whom to swear he swore by himself saying and here's the quotation surely I will bless you and multiply you 
God's plan to bring about blessings to humanity, the nations, if you will, we'll look at it, will come through his chosen one, Abraham, his servant. God makes what's known as a unilateral agreement with Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. It's really one-sided. God does command him to do some things, but God says, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> See, it isn't based on his perfect obedience. He does function as a type of one who will fulfill it in perfection. And you know where that's going, but that's getting ahead of the story. For now, if you want to walk through this quotation that's given. I think the quotation actually comes from Genesis 22. We'll get there. But to give you a background, and here you might want to turn, Genesis chapter 12. Here's an indication of the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all of you, in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram's response, Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Notice here, this is God's doing. This is why we mean it's the unilateral. This is God's command. He commands, he picks this guy out, Abram, who's not a godly man, he's a pagan. And he says, get up, leave everything that you have, and go where I tell you to go. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you can, as we go through this, catch the typological nature in what's going on here. This is a real person in a real physical way so that you can understand in a greater way what spiritual dynamic is going on here. But he truly does say that from you, I'm going to make you a great nation. He wasn't. But I'm going to do that, and I'm going to bless you. And beyond that, notice in verse 3 that all of the families of the earth, that is all nations, then would be blessed through this promise. God makes this promise to this patriarch Abraham, and he does so for his own sake. That is, for his glory. He decrees... To do this, all of this will be accomplished because God has determined to do so. We call this his decree. God has decided to do this, and in this way, in eternity past, and now it's being made known. That's what's going on here in Genesis 12. God just didn't wake up one day and think he doesn't wake up, he doesn't sleep or slumber. But if he did, it isn't like on a spur of the moment, oh, I think this is a good plan, I'm going to try this. No, 
All of this is before the foundation of the world. All that we know, all that we see, it's all in God's mind and his plan to do. He makes then this, this promise. And God will fulfill his promise. But you know what his promise is? I think this is um, insightful to think about. This is a promise that he's going to make him a great nation, that he's going to bless, and that he's going to curse those who are against you, and that all nations will be blessed by your family. This is God's plan or decree or counsel that is revealed. And that's all a promise is. When you talk about inheriting the promise, it's different when it comes from God. Because this is actually, the promise that is said here is actually a disclosure of what God has determined to do. Does that make sense? The promise isn't just something, oh, well, I I think I'm going to do this. No, God has already determined it's his decree, and now it is revealed. What we have here is a revelation of some aspects of his decree, of his secret counsel, if you will. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's his decree, what he plans and what he does. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. This is a revelation of God's decree, his very word. That what is a promise is. His counsel or his decree from eternity past stands forever, Psalm 33, 11. The plans of his heart to all generations. In other words, God will accomplish what he will. And seen here in Abram, God comes to him. Could he, could he not just say, oh, I don't want to do that. I'd rather stay at home. I don't really want to go and leave this place. No, God worked within him and made him willing to do of his good pleasure. God's promise, described as an inheritance in Ephesians chapter 1, the inheritance that is rooted in Jesus Christ, it has, Ephesians 1.11 says, it has been predetermined. Predestined, that's what the word means. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is how it happens, ultimately. I know this is hard to grasp, but this is, what, this is the disclosure of what God is doing and his promise. It is in Christ that we obtain this inheritance. And how would you get this inheritance? How would you get this promise? It is because of his will, the counsel of his will, so that we were, who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, as I've mentioned before. This is going to be addressed again in verse 17. If you noticed it when we read through it in Hebrews chapter 6, where, where God kind of puts another stamp of 
approval, another guarantee, as if he needed one. He doesn't, but he, he will, to bring about even more assurance and hope for the believer to the end. Back to verse 13 in our text, Hebrews 6. And if you might want to hold Genesis, because I'm going back there again. Uh, so keep that section open. We'll get to verse chapter 17 in a minute. But I want you to note Hebrews 6.13, God then swears that he's going to do this. How? He swears, note, by himself. In that tradition, it would be good to have a couple witnesses to confirm what you're saying. Some might even make oaths or pledge by those things that are very respectable. You know, there was a time, I don't know if they still do it, you lawyers can tell me, but where people would swear an oath on God's word or something that they thought was high. God cannot swear by anything higher than God. When God says it, it is, you see. That he's the ultimate authority. He is the highest authority. He is the highest authority because he has determined to do it and he has the ability to do it. He has all of the capacity to do it and anything he wants to do, he will do and it will happen. And that again, it will remind us about to have assurance of his promises. There's no higher authority. So where would he swear? But he would swear by himself. This is God's very infallible word that makes this promise. And But from our perspective, oftentimes his promises, his pledges, they may seem difficult for us and even impossible. And you have this illustrated in the life of Abraham. Again, I would say our mind is a bit too small to grasp the omnipotence of God. What is impossible for us to do, accomplish, or even see, God is greater. And so we're called simply this, believe, have faith. You have impossible prayers you'd like to pray? Go ahead and pray them and trust God. God can accomplish the, the impossible. He brought you from life, from death to life, didn't he? And he can bring your loved ones from death to life too. God can do that which is impossible. Abraham is an example of God's sovereign power at work, not only in calling him, but effectually accomplishing that which he wanted to do, changing the very heart or the disposition or we might think of the mind if you will of Abraham to where he desired to obey and follow God's commands he has a new disposition of life he has a new walk of life all of this is because of what God has done and God has done it with Abraham and in really a way that is impossible not only was he he had no real affections for God at all in a pagan society for God to go and call him out. But I think it's an interesting thing in dealing with his name. You just think about it. 
Do you remember his name? It was actually Abram. Abram means, initially, it means exalted father in Hebrew. Abram was 75 years old when God called him. He was called exalted father, but he had no children. That would have been very important in that culture. In fact, he might have even been mocked, derided to some degree for having that kind of name with no children. He had no children in his old age to bless and to pass on inheritance, let alone to become a great nation, the father of many nations. So who does God choose to, to do this? Somebody that had the ability and the capacity to accomplish this? Somebody with a big family? No. Somebody that's really old and has no, no family. <laughs> the exalted father. Here's where I want you to look at Genesis 17. Genesis 17. God has made a promise, and Abram waits. He believes God, he goes. God has promised him in some aspects, let's just deal with the children aspect, having many sons and daughters. But he waits for God. And now we get to Genesis 17, and here he's now 99 years old, Genesis 17. Left him with the promise when he was 75. Now it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. He's 99. And so the Lord then appears to Abraham and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and blameless. He, he, he imputes his righteousness to him, demonstrates who he is, the sovereign God, and calls him to live in accordance to that. There's no different direction than us. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to finish this, but I want you to at least grasp that. You understand? Do you know Almighty God, who he is, regardless of whatever circumstance you are? Here's the call. Walk before him. Live in accordance to him, who he is and be blameless. Engage in spiritual growth, your sanctification. Recognize you've been made blameless by him and live that way. He says that I make my covenant, this is his agreement, between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Well, it's been um, a little while here. (laughs) God doesn't really seems to be doing anything. So then Abram falls on his face, and, he, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. That is his agreement, God's promise. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's what Abraham means, the father of many nations. Not just one family, but the father of many nations. He's got to wait, and he has to believe. He's called to believe, have faith, and then be patient for God's promises to be fulfilled. 
And it's impossible. It's even harder. He's older. He said, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Ultimately, we know the king that is pointed to, and I hope you do, the king of glory. I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring. Didn't have any. After you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring that's after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I couldn't have a better blessing than that for all of my children and all their children to be godly. Isn't that what you pray? And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generation. Abraham is called to believe, isn't he? Now it's ratcheted up. He's called to be patient. But it's not easy. I think I'll maybe be able to get back here and I'll just have to pick the rest of this up next time. So keep your finger in 17 because we're going to look at 22. But I want to give you the preacher of Hebrews commentary on this situation. And so here, keep Mark 22 of Genesis. We'll be coming back. But jump to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, as we get to it, remember, it is the faith chapter. We're to imitate those who, what? Demonstrate faith and patience. They're they're examples. And that chapter is full of it. And one of them, of course, is Abraham and Sarah. So look at the condition here as the preacher of Hebrews then. as he They're familiar with these Genesis passages more than we. So he, he refers back to them and he reminds them in verse 11 of chapter 11. He says, by, note, note the word, by, by faith. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. And she considered him faithful who had promised. Do you get the connection? Faith and patience receives the promise. And she's an exemplar of that. Therefore, from one man, Abram, Abraham, and him good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. Do you believe God? Do you trust him? We do know the rest of the story. Abraham was granted a son in his old age. And then we have this weird section in chapter 22. It can be difficult for us because we may not understand what this is exactly pointing to. But here his faith is tested one more time. Get that. And that's where I invite you to turn back to Genesis 22. Abraham does have this son in his old age, fulfilling part of this promise He's going to have to have those children that they might bring up children and that nations would come from them. 
And God tests his faith in calling him to sacrifice his only son. Genesis 22, let's just jump down to verse 15. And the angel of the Lord, Abraham goes out to sacrifice his son and obey God in what he told him to do, his only son. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn and declares the Lord. You've heard that phraseology, haven't you? By myself I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And that's the key. That's faith in action. That's faith believing the promise and being patient to trust God, no matter what the circumstances might be, the impossibility of it. Because God had had declared and revealed his promise, which is a declaration of his decree, which is a declaration of what will happen. Abraham demonstrates faith in believing God, obeys his voice. And so Abraham returns, and he goes together with his son and lives in Beersheba. All right, I'll finish with this. Jump back to Hebrews chapter 11. Because here, the preacher then explains this section in Genesis 22. Hebrews chapter 11 and drop down now to verse 17. By faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son. You see the connection? He got the promise of his Many nations. Now he's in the middle of destroying, as he's commanded to do, that which God had promised. So how will God resolve any of this? Of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. How did he move forward? Here's it, verse 19, and that's key. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. A substitute was made. You know the story. And he and his son got to go home together. You know why? Because God keeps his promise. You've heard a lot of promises from a lot of people. We're going to have an election coming up. (laughs) They don't keep any of them. (laughs) That you can be sure of. But God keeps all of them. Even when it seems impossible. And beloved, our response is simply this. To believe God. And wait on him. Patiently. 
The promise is greater than whatever you could imagine. The example, the imitator here of Abraham in this case is one who truly waited on God and trusted him to fulfill his promise. We're called to imitate that faith and receive his promise. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that you would bless the proclamation of your word. We want that kind of faith to trust you in whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. I pray even the reminder of it would be a blessing to each of us. Grant to us a great conviction of true and genuine faith to believe you. And by your grace, grant us the patience to wait, to endure, to persevere with our hope and mind set on Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray in his name. Amen. Beloved, take a moment now to think on these things privately where you are at. Think on these things. Take a moment and respond directly to God now. Father, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I pray that we indeed would also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. I pray that we would be enabled by you to indeed run with endurance the race that is set before us. And may our focus and mind be on Jesus Christ, the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus is all the world to me. I hope he is to you. 475 in our hymn book as Jerry comes to lead us. Let's stand. Jesus is all the world to me.
news and will be dismissed. I'd like to leave us with a, this parting thought from the Apostle Paul. And now may our great and eternal Father bless you. May he strengthen your inner being and <clears throat> with his power through his spirit. May Christ dwell in your heart through faith and may you be rooted and grounded in love. May you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. May you be filled with all the fullness of God according to the riches of his grace and may you exalt his glorious name forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.